Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Josh Lobo is a first-time director, having recently premiered his ambitious and notably sophisticated first feature, I Trapped the Devil. The taut, intense tone poem of a movie echoes early Roman Polanski with nods to Mario Bava. It's a chilling and very rewarding slow burn horror that marks the beginning of a very exciting career. Josh and I sat down and talked filmmaking and how he was able to get this first feature off of the ground so spectacularly. Here, without further ado, is Josh Lobo, director of I Trap the Devil. How did I Trap the Devil come together? Could you walk me through the whole process from the initial idea to how you were able to kind of get producers interested and get the funding together right into production into where you are now? So I, I lived in LA for five years or so. And I, you know, I, I went to film school. I, I did the kind of the textbook route and it, it didn't, it didn't really work out for me. <clears throat> the film industry is really hard because, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of gatekeepers and you mm-hmm. can make something, but unless you can get past the sort of gatekeepers, your, your content isn't going to be seen. You're not going to be able to connect with people. And for me, that's like, that's like the hardest part. And so, you know, I started, I started just focusing less on on making films themselves and and more on sort of meeting filmmakers and people that were actually doing things uh, again it, it's kind of hard because there's a lot of filmmakers that are like i'm a filmmaker you know i'm making something but they're not right so it's all kind of gestating it's all kind of talk and so you kind of have to weed out those and you know i i was i went into the whole thing looking to be to kind of gain f- friendships mm-hmm. um it wasn't so much about like knowing people and, and getting contacts and yeah I, you know i wanted i wanted to be friends with the people that were creating the content that i was taking in and and that was probably a, that was probably the best move just because once you know once you've kind of cultivated friendships with people that actually know kind of what they're doing the idea of being able to like put something together together is a lot more um you know, it's, it's easily achievable. Yeah. How are you able to and, do that though? How are you able to, to kind of start meeting those people and getting those people in your circle of friends? Um, funny enough, uh, social media, social media is, is cool. And, you know, I'll get like Twitter messages from people, you know, they're, they're like book messages telling me how much they love my, my movie, yada, 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 or how much they hate it, yada, yada, yada. And for me, it's, it's exhausting. You know, when you get a bunch of those, it's like, I, it's, you know, unsolicited mail, right. but if you just kind of like spark a conversation and you're coming from it, from a genuine place where you're, you're just trying to connect with the people that are making your content. I find those people are much kind of easier to get to know because there's a lot of cool people out there that just don't really know. And, you know, a lot of people do get sort of starstruck. And when, when you just remember that, like everyone is a person, you know, this, this guy is a person. He lives in California. This guy's a person. He lives in New York or Idaho or wherever. They're just people. And, and, you know, I can't, you can't go up and start talking to Spielberg, but a lot of these indie, indie guys, you know, they're just people They're They, a lot of them have day jobs. I have a day job. Um, so, you know, you spark a conversation and it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you. But so between that and like attending like film festivals, like when you go to film festivals, you know, it's hard because, you know, if you don't, if you don't have like 
a credit, it, it's hard for kind of people to take you seriously right. or I guess to kind of legitimize you. But you can you can meet people that are there's a lot of people there that are trying to network on their own level. And you meet those people and you just sort of work your way up and don't it, it's one of the hardest things is you is trying to like connect with people that are kind of your senior hmm. when like you really should be connecting with people that are kind of your equal. Right. Because the people that are your equal are, are you know, are going to be someone else's senior. You just kind of have to wait and everyone's like, Oh no, I want, I want to be friends with Spielberg, but like, <laughs> no, be, be friends with these people at your level because they're the ones that are going to be coming up with you. Right. So like doing that is, it's a good way to kind of meet people. And that that's, what I did, you know, I just, I met a lot of people and 50% of the people were like, Oh, cool. Hi, you know, nice to meet you and gone. But 50% of them, you know, I could cultivate a friendship with, and those friendships are, you know, my friendships now. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, how did, uh, how did I trap the devil all come together? It, you know, so I, I got really tired of kind of sitting around like waiting to make a film and, um, I just I had originally made like a, a first feature uh, five or six years back, and it didn't. It just was too big for what I was trying to do, and I was like, I wanted to make this weird detective Twin Peaks meets like the Wicker Man story, mm. and I tried to make it for like twenty grand, and um, it blew up in my face, and just it just we just failed miserably, oh, and man. it was it was it was it it came from a, like a level of like preparation. Like I just was not prepared to undertake. And, um, so, you know, I kind of stepped back from that a little bit and like licked my wounds and, um, just, you know, got back to it. And then I started looking at kind of like what I had failed with that one. Mm -hmm. And when I started writing at the time, this was called a man in the dark. It's, it's since been changed, um, to I trap the devil. When I started writing it, it, I, I was trying to see if I could do um, things that were exactly the opposite of what I normally did. Hmm. Um, you know, I didn't want a lot of violence. I didn't want a sprawling scope. Uh, I, I I tried to write this to see if I could make something that would be rated that could be rated PG thirteen. Mm -hmm. And the movie the movie couldn't. But you know, there's a certain level of restraint that comes with that. So I I never I wouldn't write for a budget. Um, I just was writing the story I wanted to tell. And when I got to it at the end, I was like, Oh wow. Okay, cool. This is like some characters in a house and it's, it's a horror film, but it's also not in that it, it's kind of dealing with things more like existential dread and like mm -hmm. atmosphere and grief. And I was like, okay, cool. I can make this. So I, I shopped it around for a little while and it didn't, I didn't get any bites. And, um, then I basically was just like, oh, well, I guess I have to make it. So I kind of like liquidated my entire life, everything Whoa. and was like, well, I guess I'm going to take the, um, I'm going to take a big, a big gamble. And I used that to put up like, like three fourths of the budget. And then I, I went to a family member, um, my uncle who has since passed away and oh, was man, like, that's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. But I, I went out to him and was like, look, I have all of this money. Would you just put in sort of the last bit to get this thing rolling? And he was like, okay, cool. And he took a leap of faith and, um, yeah, with sort of no expectation that it was going to go anywhere. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't the heart. Yeah. I was just basically, I just spent a lot of my own money to make it. And, um, it, when you're doing that, it also makes it, 
a, a bit more of like a serious endeavor because it's like if I fail, I, I'm failing multiple times. It's not just I'm failing, you know, for like a corporation. It's like I'm right. failing me. And um, with this one, I, you know, hopefully, you know, I, th- I think it's it's been a success. I'm very happy with, you know. But yeah, so we just we went out and shot it, and I live in Wy- I live in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere because I like it. It's quiet and I can write. And, um, so we, we shot it here in the, in the middle of winter, um, in nine days, which is, Oh my God, really? You shot that whole movie yeah. in nine days? In nine days. God yeah. Damn. yeah. And it, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it's like, Oh man, okay, cool. There's, you know, people talking, there's people talking, there's, there's dread. There's, it's not, there's no crazy gore effects. There's no, um, right. monster stuff. And, um, so we were like, okay, cool. Well, we can, we can shoot for 18 days and we could spend a little less money each day to do it. Or we could, we could fucking buckle down and, um, do this in, in a kind of compressed period of time and just put as much money as we can onto the screen. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, went, went part in like when I got my actors and I went out to AJ and AJ basically introduced me to Susan and Scott and these, these people are are so talented and they're all they're professionals they know what to do they don't need more than three or four takes to get to where they were going right so it was like it was cool it was like we would get in we'd do you know one like this one like this and one like this we'd have some variation and then we'd get out and we just did that through the whole movie which it, it was actually kind of a, a blessing in disguise just because it kind of forced you to decide mm. I've been on a lot of sets where people are sort of like free roaming and, you know, they'll get this piece of coverage and then this piece of coverage and then this piece of coverage and they try to build it in the edit. Mm. Um, and I feel like that inhibits cause it, it makes it so you can't, you know, it, it's, you're very, it's kind of a wishy washy way of right. doing it. Like when you get to the edit, you don't know, you're like, ah, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Right. But As you have to go to in with like, a very firm intention. Yeah. It's like, I have one shot. And so we sat around for 20 minutes thinking like, okay, what's the shot that's going to, you know, purvey this and we get that one shot and then we move on. So when we get to the edit, you can trim timing down, but you can't, you can't sort of meld the narrative and do that. And so it's like, you had, you just had to come in with what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's great. I, I think the movie's all the more better for it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it any other, maybe one extra day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it feels very tight in a good way, you know, and it still has these moments where, tone is just kind of allowed to unfold. Um, but it's very kind of tightly done. And I, I, there's, there's something kind of fierce about that. You know, it, it gives a movie an energy. And I would imagine that that's probably because it, you, you had to be very specific with direction because you didn't have a whole lot of time. Um, and I, I, I feel like that that gives movies a real palpable energy instead of when their actors are waiting around on set all day and they have all the time in the world to shoot and all the directors have all the time in the world to overthink the shit out of their scenes. Whereas you, you, you have to know specifically what you want. And, and I feel like actors like working that way too. 100%. And it, it's, it's extremely stressful while you're on set. But it does create this kind of like crunch, like we have to get through this. We have to get through this. Mm-hmm. And there is kind of an immediacy to it. See, I don't shot list my movies at all. I, I, I go in completely oh, like, yeah, yeah, it could, it could, it's one of those things that could blow up in your face. But I, um, I, don't, I don't like, I like to sort of feel the creative energy in the room when I get there mm. <laughs> as opposed to 
like, you know, if I, if I show up and I have my shot list and I tell my actors to get in there, but it just feels wonky, then I'm like, oh, you know, we've gone off plan. Right. And it dry, it drives my AD and people crazy. But like I show up and I'm like, okay, cool. Well, here's what I want. What do you want? And then we sort of develop the scene really quickly and we just start shooting it. And we, you know, we just, if you know, if you know your location and you know your crew well enough, you can make gold out of anything. Hmm. And this movie, I, I come from like a weird, like, like taste, like my taste is very like all over the place mm-hmm. for all that. I love horror movies. Like, I, I don't know if I would call this a horror film and I, I hate to be one of those people. I do, it's not like, I think it's like elevated horror or something like that. I hate to be one of those people, but I do think that this is more of like a psychological thriller oh, yeah. per se. And it, 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 it just, this movie is not going to scare you. It's a tone poem. You know, it's mm-hmm. the, the, the whole process of it was, was trying to make a movie where the tone was consistent from minute one to minute 80. Yeah. And it's just this sort of like cranking the, the tension. And so when I, when we were looking at this, we were looking at a lot of stuff that weren't, that wasn't necessarily like horror driven. Um, you know, we were looking at things like Denise, like prisoners, Hmm. Um, and where I think that this film is, is a little bit quirkier than that. I think it has some sort of weird moments. Hmm. I, um, I, w- I would say that those moments kind of come from my like affinity for like twin peaks. Yeah. But we were looking at all kinds of different things. Like I love art films. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to make a movie. It's going to be very slow. Um, some people can like really get, and it, the thing is, it's not even necessarily that people that love art films can get on board with this. It just gets on. It's just if if you can take a film and sit and live in it and get really tense and you don't need the uh, kind of omnipresent like jump scares every fifteen minutes, I think you can get down for this. Yeah. If you don't, this is this. I could see this movie being the bane of some people's existence because it, it is. It's slow. It's like a you know. It's a tone poem. Mm-hmm. I mean, considering that it is, as you describe a tone poem, you're clearly a very visionary director. Do you have any sort of a system for capturing images, music, moods? Do you have like any sort of director book where you just kind of clip things as you go and then return to them at a later date to kind of keep you referenced? I mean, so much of that comes down to my my crew. Um, When I, so when I, finish writing something before I've ever, you know, gone out to an actor before I've ever really gotten in touch with people. I, I just find things cause I'm, I'm always, I, my writing process is, is pretty long elongated. And as I'm writing, I'm constantly like, I'll find a picture and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That, and I, and I put it in a folder. And so when I'm done writing, I have this folder of all these images <clears throat> and you can tell the outliers there'll be like, you know, if all these images are red and one's blue. I'll look at the blue one. I'm like, Oh, that's not totally, totally in line with what I've been thinking and I'll get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I end up having this folder of all these things that look the same that are kind of portraying different aspects of a film. And then I take it to my deep, my, like my DP, who's my best friend. And I'm like, this is what I want. This is, I want to capture the feel that these pictures are, are capturing, you know, not necessarily the lighting. You have to filter that through yourself. Mm-hmm. But this this is the world that I'm trying to make. Um, same with production designer. It just you know it was like I, I like I wanted to make I wanted to make something that felt aesthetically similar to Black Christmas mm-hmm. without having 
absolutely anything to do with Black Christmas. Right. I didn't want people to be like, this is a Black Christmas riff because it's not. Mm-hmm. But like aesthetically, I think that movie has a very interesting um, look, Christmas look. And, you know, yeah. it, it does, the Christmas stuff feels organic as opposed to feeling like we're making a Christmas movie. And so everything has Christmas around it. But so while we're we're building it, you know, I when we're shooting, I will turn to my DP and I'll say, hey, OK, this is what I want to do with this. Uh, this is how I blocked it. What do you think is is right? And mm-hmm. 99% of the time, he'll put a lens on there and he'll set the frame and I'll say, yep, that's exactly what it is. There's a little bit, you know, where I'm like, nope, nope, try again. And within the second or third time, he'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. But you kind of develop this mind meld with people that you work with a lot. Yeah. Where you can kind of, it's a shorthand, you know, and I, I, I feel like if at any point in the future someone told me I couldn't work with my crew, I would walk on a project. Yeah. Because when you're when you hire me, you're hiring the people that I've hired, mm-hmm. and without them, you're not you're not getting like quote unquote a Josh Lobo movie. Right. Like a Josh a Josh Lobo movie is this extremely talented crew that I've brought together to complete my vision that I know can complete my vision Mm -hmm. while also like artistically fulfilling them as opposed to just like, it's not like I'm not a natur at all. I'm not, there's a lot of things that were just sort of like, you know, wow, cool. That, that was way cooler because it happened. But the bulk of the reason why this film was good is because of the crew that surrounded it and not necessarily myself. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes all the sense in the world for directors to have their the crew that they have a shorthand with. Because I feel like as you develop that shorthand and keep doing more films together, that enables you to that enables the films to just constantly kind of evolve. You know, I feel like exactly. if you're constantly trying to catch up with somebody on a personal level who's on your crew, it can just it can distract from the movie. Whereas if everybody you know that mind meld occurs, that can just help you perpetually you know make make movies that evolve with time. That's cool. The the interesting part about like having a, a, a good crew too that you're working with is like there is this thing and like, you know, people are like, get rid of it, but there's like jealousy and like a competitive edge. And when you're working with people that you love and that people that are talented, you know, like my DP or my production designer or, you know, my composer or yada yada, them gaining experience in their craft only behooves me. Mm. So there's no competitive edge there. It's like, you know, you got three features this year. Hell yeah. That means when you, by the time you roll around to do mine, you're going to be way better than you were on those features. Right. You know, and so as everyone's always constantly evolving, your product is going to get more in touch. And the more you work together, the more you're going to understand each other's tastes. Mm-hmm. And um, the only way I think I would work with anyone else is if I was ever trying to do something that was kind of like a drastic departure from what you know, yeah. like I, I, I very much believe in like keeping the camera locked down. Like I don't love overly complicated camera movements, mm-hmm. like overly, I, I like to keep it with the characters and I like to keep it locked down and smooth. And, you know, if I was going to do a turn with like, as like kind of like a wannabe Paul Greengrass, I might look to work with somebody else just to see if I could capture a new energy. Mm. But you know, that, you know, who knows? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise it it lets you develop a signature, you know, if you have the same cast and crew with your key collaborator, so to speak. Yeah. And so much of a signature is just like, it just comes down to like your, your taste. Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of people are like, my signature is going to be this, like my signature is going to be this, you know? And, and I don't think that that is a good way to go about it. I just think that when you write something, you should be honest to what you like. And if you're honest to what you like, you know, on the day, this, I love, 
like very like saturated. Like I love like you said it earlier, but I brought up Mario Bava's Planet of the Vampires, mm-hmm. which is like you know it's just a very beautiful, very weird movie. And when I originally started to shoot uh, at the time, Man in the Dark, I trapped the devil. I didn't want any like ultra saturated colors. And within two days it was like, well, you know, fuck this. Like this, I like, like, boom, they get some red and blue neon in there, you know, like that's, and it just immediately comes out. And, um, I think that those things feel authentic. Like I, um, I think there's people working right now. Like, like right now it's a big thing with like John Carpenter scores, actually like saturated colors is is huge right now. But like eventually the the sort of people that are just doing it because it's in will kind of die off and you'll still have your signature thing um, like John Carpenter scores. There are a couple people out there that I'm like, I'm looking forward to their movie because I know they're going to be using this sort of score um, like a, a Joe Bigos' Bliss. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the, the trailer for that. It has this, you know, kind of. 80s synth thing right but i'm like no that feels authentic to the movie that he's trying to make mm-hmm. as opposed to these movies that are like synths are in like here you go like right. synth score. and so i just feel like continuing to like be authentic to what you're trying to make is well one it'll keep you people keep coming back because they like your your shtick mm-hmm. um, and two it, it doesn't feel phony yeah I feel like you can always tell who who are the the legit ones who actually like synth and 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 washing their actors in neon versus the yep. ones who are doing it just because they do it on Stranger Things. You know, you can always kind of tell. <laughs> I mean, visually. yeah, yeah. Nobody can tell me that Nick Reffin doesn't like like ultra detailed neon lights. Like, oh yeah, you know that that's his thing. Like, and I hope twenty four years from now he's still doing the same thing with you know the experience that he's gained because i'm like every time a nick reffin movie comes out i'm like awesome that's what i'm gonna expect same with david fincher mm-hmm. his movies made in the 90s look you know like a less less technically advanced but they look similar to his movies made now right right yeah those signature directors you can and some of them just kind of lose their signature their aesthetic after time yeah yeah i i, I do th- i think it gets kind of exhaust right i think people are always sort of trying to the directors that stick around are the ones that aren't it doesn't feel like they're sort of trying to chase the dragon hmm. <clears throat> they're just kind of trying to make the same not necessarily you have to evolve but you also have again you have to stay honest right like, yeah I it's think a balance Tar- yeah tarantino's movies are evolving but like they all they all feel like like oh that's a Tarantino movie mm-hmm. even though they're like drastically different from one to the next. Yeah. Whereas some people will just make something that's so out of left field because a they want to be back in the spotlight or b they want to you know kind of maybe recapture an old flame yeah. like it doesn't work. Well, he actually Tarantino studied very very diligently the careers of a lot of directors and he would see their missteps where they would take risks that just wouldn't pay off and he essentially structured his career based on the mistakes that other directors had made um i think it's why he's only going to do 10 movies i think that's because he just there's a lot more power in that and just having movies that are all fundamentally good and solid and keep delivering instead of kind of experimenting here and doing so many movies i mean it's a lot less risky and it helps you kind of retain your power and prowess as a director so what were some of the, the kind of biggest lessons for you, considering that this was your first feature film? I know you were working on something previously, but what were some of the big kind of directorial lessons that you learned making this movie that you carry with you to the next movie? Um, 
honestly just like one that actors and crew make everything hmm. like like really like uh, the, the my contributions to the film are so minimal that like the the backbone of the project is who is whom i bring onto the project um and acting like like you gotta get the best actors yeah. for the part because if you don't they're that you people won't it's not believable mm-hmm. you know and like they can't kind of purvey the or portray the sort of like nuances of a, of a piece and just like really really like being prepared like i i like i said i don't storyboard but like i was prepared i was prepared right. you know the set around me was 360 decorated and i went in being like okay this is what i think that i want these characters to do you find out how to shoot it real quick but you know hmm. it's just one of those things where just being prepared makes the world of difference yeah well it sounds like a very organic approach that i i think i've heard david lynch talk about the the virtues of just not being so agenda oriented when you're directing actors or when you're framing a shot but really observing what's around you and just having being present but also being very intuitive and was does that help describe does that is that accurate in terms of kind of how you how you approached this film, I mean, the, the no, I think that there's something very interesting about the notion of being very prepared, but yeah. also having a sense of presence on set where you can kind of intuitively find exactly what you need, even if the day before you didn't really know what you needed. So, yeah, yeah. is that accurate? Well, uh, so um, before I ever shot my first one five or six years back, I, um, I was friends with somebody who was making a, a documentary about David Lynch through the BBC, which I, I don't think it ever really... Um, it ever sort of came to fruition, mm-hmm. but I got to around that time. It was before Twin Peaks: The Return was announced, and um, I got to kind of like bum around with David Lynch for a a, 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 a little while while he was like really focusing on like paintings and things like that. I kind of got like a like a cue in on his like his like creative process, mm. and he was so just like dead set on on creating and. Um, always just always pumping out content you know we would go to an art show and he would in as opposed to you know living in the sort of like fame of it all he would was basically living in the fact that like okay cool i'm here now when can i leave and go back to continue what i was doing right so at that moment i hadn't i wasn't i'd love i've loved twin peaks twin peaks was my very first sort of exposure to like genre stuff i watched it when i was a kid and i did it fucking traumatized me (laughs) and um yeah, it was crazy because like I never I owned the original DVD set and it didn't have the pilot episode or who eventually killed Laura Palmer. Hmm. So I would just watch those like first eight episodes and it was so weird. And and later on, like you know, when I, I got to be older, I I knew there was a I learned there was a pilot and it was like whoa, there's a whole oh, like wow. aspect to this story I never knew. You got a prequel. Yeah, but I, I wasn't familiar with David Lynch's artwork, which I think was so informative because I got to hang around this guy who was everyone told me was like a true artist and just sort of see how he like operated. And he's like a very normal dude, but it also made me appreciate his, appreciate his artwork mm. more. And so bringing that into this one, or even just the things that I I picked up on, like how you operate, you know, bringing that into this one, it was like okay, cool, like it's more interesting when you don't necessarily give your audience everything, hmm. you know, well, you leave like, some room for interpretation. Yeah. Uh, 
don't compromise if you're, you know, you're making something that is more, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're making Cloverfield, I have to compromise because it's like a franchise. It has to do that. Mm -hmm. But with this one, I I didn't have to, because I was paying for it. I got the final say. It was like, okay, cool. I'm going to make exactly what I want to make. Um, I'm going to spend as much time as I need to be spending on it. Mm -hmm. And if I, you know, if I don't like it's, it's not going to feel like me. Yeah. So one thing I, I seem to skip over is how did um, as you you said that you, you you liquidated your savings and then you just went out and started shooting. How did you start to get producers involved in in companies like IFC Midnight? At what point do they start jumping in? So I have I have two producers. Um, I knew Scott Weinberg just from going to film festivals, <clears throat> and I knew he had he he just he just knows everybody. Hmm. <clears throat> so I reached out to him, and he had just come off and found footage three D. And, um, I was like, look, man, I want to make something that is completely different than what your last movie was, <laughs> but, but it's interesting, I think. Um, and so he, he introduced me to AJ and kind of got me, got me situated with him. And we kind of went from there. I produced this on like, you know, I was one of the main producers. Then I have another producer who's just a friend of mine. Um, his name is Spence. When, because I shot, we shot this movie in January 2017, and that first year, I just for about six months after we shot it, I was like, "Uh oh, I I botched it." Because there was like two scenes that I just hadn't, they just didn't feel tonally consistent with the mm-hmm. rest of the movie. And so I was like, "Okay," so I just sat for basically a year because I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't release the movie a lot. I know a lot of people were just like, "It's fine," like it's your first movie, just you know, just whatever. But I wouldn't. I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and so I wouldn't settle. So I had to wait to do a couple reshoots until the next holiday season. Oh, hell. The, the snow. So I had like a year to just sit and like stew on it and like think about, oh, this is a cool sound effect. Like what if I put the sound effect at this exact moment? Hmm. And I, I did that. And, you know, the, so the first year was a lot of thinking about that. And the second year, a year after we started shooting, I just like dove into the edit. And I had never edited anything on my own. And I dove into the edit and I just started like trying to like, you know, marble, you know, out right. what I wanted. And like we worked on the sound design for like six or seven months. Like it was, it oh, was wow. crazy. It was a really long period of time. And, um, just trying to make it, you know, cause there's, there's this great saying where it's like, you know, you, you want something good, you want something fast, you want something cheap, pick two. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, okay, well, you know, time is whatever, because if at the end of the day I rush through this thing and it's a piece of shit, I'm never going to get another job. Right. You know? And it's like, wow, I got it into a, I could submit it to a festival six months early, but like whatever. So it's, it's, you want to get out of the gate with the strongest thing possible. Mm -hmm. And this movie didn't have to be perfect. And I don't, I don't think it's perfect, at least in my opinion, but it just needed to be like, okay, cool. This is what I can do. Now somebody give me more money and a little bit more time and I can, I feel like I can deliver on the promise of, of what this thing kind of, you know, right. uh, Brings up. Very cool. That's awesome, man. Like the fact that you just refuse to settle and even if it takes a year, um, so with that, my sales team team was champing at the bit. (laughs) I can only imagine. I got the yellow veil guys, um, involved about a about when i had started to re-edit the movie and they they had just sort of built their company and they they only had the film loose 
and they sent it to me and they were like, this is the weird stuff that we're, we're putting out. Like if you like weird stuff like that, you know, your, your movie, I feel like could have a home here. And I took a leap of faith and those guys just delivered, I mean, so insanely much, you know, they, they, they put the movie in front of IFC and IFC picked it up and those guys have just done an incredible job. The, the, the coolest part, the one thing I want to talk about, the coolest part about like working with IFC is that, you know, they were always very open to keeping me involved. Hmm. Um, I hear horror stories of companies that are just sort of like, no, this is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it. Right. And where, you know, IFC, they have to be because it's a business, mm-hmm. you know, you have, to, you know, they're, they're, there's the commerce side and you have to appease that. But like they come at me and they're like, this is the poster we think. And, and I'm like, oh no, that's not necessarily what I want. Instead of being like, well, sorry, buddy. You know, they're like, okay, cool. Let's try again. And they bring me something. And now we have a poster that is a masterpiece. Same with the trailer and, you know, all of this stuff. So they really like at every, at every opportunity for, for like a decision to be made, they consulted me and like took in my input. And there's times, you know, where I'm probably wrong because I don't know that, but it was cool to work with like, like a, a major company that, you know, put as much into me and my opinion as they did into just like making their money back. Right. That's great. Yeah, they seem like that kind of company that champions the director and champions visions and are not kind of being industry bullies, so to speak. There's definitely a for lot sure. of those. Yeah, for sure. And it, it it was it was a it was a pleasure to my sales like again, my sales team, the Yellowville guys, they just like they worked, you know, day and night to make sure that this film was treated well and kind of got the audience that they thought it deserved. And so with all of these people sort of supporting this thing. It was, it was, you know, like a dream come true to sort of watch the project. That's great. Yellow yeah. Veil was your sales company or? Yeah. 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 They're my sales company. Great. Yeah. They have one of the coolest logos I've ever seen. I love it. Yeah. yeah it's super um, cool. I was on the, the movie Crypt podcast and Joe Lynch was like, at first I thought that was your logo and I was going to say that's the best thing ever. And yeah, I, was like, I thought oh, it was I yours too. I, when I, saw I can't the movie. take any credit for that. Like it's an amazing um, but they're amazing dudes and they have an amazing slate. Like they're, they, they got some stuff coming up like Fassington's depraved and stuff, which are very, very, very cool. Starfish, starfish. You haven't seen that. Oh, are those, is that, I think that's coming to overlook. I think, uh, I think it actually might be out by then. Oh, okay. Maybe. All right. I might be getting it wrong. Um, but yeah, but Fassenden's is coming to overlook. Yeah. Cool. Um, so looking at the movie in its finished form retrospectively, uh, what would you have invested more in and what would you have invested less in? I don't necessarily mean money. It could be time, resource, energy. Uh, but what would you have invested more in and what would you have invested less in? It could be money, though. I mean, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm very happy with the film as is. Like, I, I guess if there's anything I could have gone back. I, mean, I was 21 when I wrote the script. So, like, life experience-wise, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot. You know, I'm, I'm still extremely young and... Um, yeah, what are you, 25? Like, I'm 25, yeah. I can't, I, can't t- I can't really talk about age just because it's like I'm, I'm at the bottom of the pyramid. But like um, I, I wish there's things now where I'm like, oh, man, I could have made this better just from like a story point, you know, now. Mm-hmm. But I think that's everything. And so, I mean, I, I would just go back and mess with the script and just kind of bring more life experience to it. But when I'm 45, I, I think I'll look back on it and be like, oh, man, I could have made this. 30 times as you know, right. 
in depth as I can now. So it's just like, that's always something. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I, I, I love the movie. And it's, it's the exact kind of movie I want to watch. It's this weird slow burn thing that isn't necessarily scary. It's just a tone poem. Mm-hmm. And it's got a, like, an oppre- like an oppressive sound design, which I love. I love it's because it's kind of the exact opposite of what a lot of these movies are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many of them are so quiet and I just, no, I wanted, I wanted you to feel like you were being like assaulted by evil. And, um, I felt yeah, that way. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's really good. And it's really cool in a the theater. Yeah. Down, I was glad that I saw it in a the theater. I mean, particularly that sound design was very, was so intense and so strong. The, I, the IFC screening was the best theater, the best theater as far as sound, like, Playing, oh, is that right? Been, yeah, so you got to see it in kind of the optimal setting. That's but awesome. no, I mean, I I really like the movie. I'm very happy, and I, I hope it does find its audience because it is just a weird little beast. Um, last few questions. Any ed- specific advice on working with actors? I mean, you obviously had some great actors. Um, and I'm sure it was very collaborative. But um, any advice on as a director working with actors or finding the right actors? Is there something that you look for in the audition process that helps guide your decisions wisely? Um, I mean, really it's, it's more just about, can you get along with these people and how they, how they kind of make you feel like, you know, if you meet somebody and you're kind of like, uh, um, you're around these people for so long and you, you just really have to like, kind of, again, like build like a mind meld, but like really just trust their instincts. Like what, even, even if you've hired like not the best actor, well, the second you get to set and you've hired that actor, you're stuck, man. Like yeah. they're, you know, they're there. So like talk to them and sort of see what they want to do because if you're always trying to like push your agenda through these people you're not going to get something that feels organic Mm. you really have to just be like okay cool these are artists they have their art they have their taste i hired them for a reason right so let them do what they you know what they think or at least let them experiment and then you can kind of experiment with what you want to do as well because it's really like if if you give somebody and that 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 actually can go for everyone in the crew if you get somebody, your gaffer, your PA, your costume designer, if anyone gives you a good idea and you're receptive to it mm-hmm. and like you can get over your ego, that's where some of the best stuff comes from. Yeah. And that crew will work 10 times harder for you because they feel like they're actually like give like having like an impact on the product. Hmm. You know, if, if a PA walks up to me and tells me that this is, would be a cool idea for a shot, you know, I, you know, I, I can either be like, okay, yeah, let's try it if we have time. Or I can be like, no, it's not really what I want. But if you're receptive to the people that you've hired, actors, anyone, like you're just going to have a more efficient kind of working set. Yeah, yeah, and it really, I, I feel like creating a community on set is very important and a collaborative one at that. And it's 100%. silly to ignore good ideas just because they weren't your own. And and set shouldn't necessarily be fun. Um, like it's it. Like I, our, I mean, we shot ours in such a small amount of time in like horrible weather conditions, all night shoots that the set was kind of hellacious. It was, it was a terrible set, ever, very stressed out. But two years later, you don't remember the shitty parts. Mm. I mean, you do, but you don't like, those aren't the things you take away. You take away from the fact like, oh, this was funny or this yada yada. So that you get past that. If you're, if you're all having like a really good time and like, it's, it's very breezy, you're not putting enough attention into the stuff that you're making. Mm. That's interesting. Was there a way that you were able to deal with low morale if that was the case on your set? We have three, we have three days left. <laughs> no, uh, we have four days left. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And, um, mor- morale's a hard one, especially, 
art is just hard in general, especially with low budget art. It's hard on people because they're not getting paid and you, it's, you have to work harder for less. Right. And so you really just have to be like, you know, you're all in the trenches together. And, uh, you know, if you're directing the movie, go outside and pick up the lights, you know, go up, go up outside and move some stuff. I don't believe in a director's chair because I I feel like at any point you should be helping. You need a wall painted, like paint the wall because you're all in this together and the people you hired aren't doing it for very much. So it's kind of like, and you know, you're going to fight with people, you're going to fight with people. And once, you know what, when, if the, the project ends and you're still at odds with them, that's fine. You don't, the whole world doesn't need to love you, but you can do your best to recounsel your relationships Hmm. because at the end of the day, personally, if someone's an asshole to me under like extraneous circumstances and I don't like them, but down the line, you know, they, they reach out to me or I reach out to them kind of looking for like, okay, like, look, this was hard. That means the world because it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you don't necessarily have to work with everybody all the time. You just, you know, try try to keep from having bad blood. Right. Right. That makes it's, sense. It's so crucial, especially when you're like making indie film. Got it. Um, last couple of questions. So I'm um, obviously when it comes to writing and directing and filmmaking in general, there's so many resources and books and courses. Um, and a lot of the books are written by people who haven't actually done it before. So there's a lot the, that whole market is just flooded with bullshit. But that being said, were there any resources or books that were particularly helpful for you, either from an artistic <laughs> perspective or from a business perspective? No, 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 didn't I have, I don't, I, I don't read any of that. Okay. Were I mean, there's any... entire, there's like encyclopedias about like shot composition and I just, it's just like, eh, no, like yeah. this, that I don't need to see I don't need to see a breakdown for like, you know, John Woo's hard boiled scene because one, I, the location that I'm shooting in isn't from John Woo's hard boiled scene. And it, yeah, it's, it's do, do your own thing. Um, just, yeah, no, not, not really. I, I read, I read a lot, which is something that I think beho- behooves anyone that wants to write, you need to read and you need to read books that aren't about writing. Mm-hmm. Like I just like read, you know, fiction and you like learn kind of how good storytelling works. Right. Right. What a quote unquote good storytelling. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Okay, great. Well, cool. Any, uh, any parting advice for aspiring filmmakers? Um, I can't, I can't, you know, advise that you just like liquidate your savings to do this, <laughs> but there are so many options to make a film, like just make something. Um, and don't don't try to like ape. It's it's cool. Like there's it's cool to homage to an extent and to kind of take inspiration. But don't try to ape anything. You know, I like I love the strangers. And if you love the strangers, that's cool. But don't make a movie about three masked killers. You know, invading somebody after a wedding. Right. Like, but like changing the math. You know what I mean? It's it's like just kind of try to find like a new spin that isn't. Um, close because yeah. when they're close, they get forgotten because it you know there's always kind of the quote unquote the better one. Right, right. Yeah, there's so many of those ripoffs that are flooding the market nowadays. 
also short films. I just, I don't believe in short films. Oh no. Cause no, I, cause short films are fine or at least I'm not spending a gratuitous amount of money on short films. Right. Because you know, you spend $30,000 on a short film. You're never going to see that money back Oof. when you, you could easily spend $30,000 on a feature. The feature could be trash, but at least you could put it on Amazon and it might sell a little bit. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, at least with features you can make money and, um, if you know if you're young and you haven't asked a lot of your cast and crew like a lot of times people kind of jump on board you know for reduced rates so it's yeah the the more things you make the less people want to do that <laughs> now that makes sense great josh this is a whole bunch of fun man thanks a lot and uh thank you for yeah for having me huge congrats on the movie where can it's out now right it's on vod yeah. now yeah, it's 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 on VOD, so Xbox, iTunes, Voodoo, everything. Great. Cheers. Yeah. Cool. Josh, Cheers. thanks again. Thanks you thank you so much, man. All right, lots of great stuff in this conversation. Here are my favorite key insights for aspiring filmmakers from this conversation with Josh Lobo. Number one, get some skin in the game. They say never put your own money into a production, but in Josh's case, he liquidated all of his funds to pay for this movie. In doing so, he quickly realized that if the film failed, his entire financial foundation would fail with it, which significantly raised the stakes and forced him to make this movie a success. This is true trial by fire, and sometimes gambling big on your own success is what can make you successful. This is definitely not for the squeamish. I'm not necessarily saying I recommend this, but it worked pretty favorably for Josh. Obviously, it's a huge risk, so tread carefully. Number two. Don't overplan your shots. Focus on what's in front of you. Josh refuses to storyboard his shots because it enables him to approach his scenes without preconceived notions of what the scenes should be. This enables him to stay in the moment and discover new things that he never would have noticed had he planned the shot. This can be a risky move, but it's a more organic way of directing, and it's also what David Lynch does. Doing this requires you to know your crew and location exceptionally well. So if you throw out the shot list and the storyboards, make sure you do your homework first. Number three, find and nourish your shorthand with a crew. Developing a creative shorthand with collaborators is a key part of being a director. Work on developing your working relationship with a crew over time. After a while, you'll all be in lockstep together and your productions will go more smoothly because you'll have a circle of people that you can rely on who know your artistic sensibility and your work style. Being able to pick his crew is so important to Josh that he claims he'd walk off of a project if he couldn't choose them himself. He also very humbly claims that the crew is what made his movie so good. Find your crew and nourish your relationship with them. Number four, collaborate closely with your actors. Good actors are critical to the success of any movie, but particularly low-budget movies. One of the best ways to attract great actors and get incredible performances out of them is to turn to them to help you flesh out the characters. Find out what your actors want to do and then craft the characters and performances around what they are passionate about. You and your actors are there to find it together. Being receptive to their ideas and desires allows them to feel more involved and invested in the project, which will inspire them to work harder and give you a better performance. Anyway, guys, thank you so much 
Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family on social media. You can follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nick Taylor Horror Show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and everywhere you listen. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye.